The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to snap their longest weekly losing streak in nearly, get this, a century. Another major Wall Street firm is downgrading U.S. equities on possible recession risks. We'll tell you what Citigroup is telling clients this morning. Retail earnings remain in focus right now. Shares of Costco and Gap stores both trading lower following quarterly results. Twitter shareholders are suing, yes, suing Elon Musk and the social media company itself. And another tank company announcing it's slowing down its hiring process. This time it's a very big household name preparing to go public. It's Friday, May 27th, 2022, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off this hour with a check on the markets, because right now stock futures are indicating a maybe more stable open compared to what we saw yesterday here. The Dow Jones implied higher by just 39 points. The S&P roughly 10 points higher and the Nasdaq by about 50. Now, the three major indices are on track to close the week higher. You can see there the Dow up by about 4.5%, the S&P up by 4%, and the Nasdaq trailing, if you will, by just about 3.5%. Of course, stocks are well off their highs that we've seen. The Nasdaq is still in bear market territory, down more than 27% from its record. The S&P is down about 16% from its record high, and the Dow is down nearly about 12% below its record. So again, still, generally speaking, lower Now, Treasury yields, a key part of that market conversation, have been for months, if not years at this point now. The benchmark U.S. 10-year Treasury note yield is drifting a little bit lower. Right now, 2.75%. Remember, we were handily above 3% at one point. Two-year note yields just a hair above 2.47% as well. So a little bit of a move lower there. Five-year note yields standing out there, a little pop to the upside, about 2.72%. Meanwhile, the value of the dollar, very much a talk of the many traders and investors out there. You can see versus the euro, some dollar weakness. The euro is gaining strength against the dollar, 1.0726. Meanwhile, weaker dollar against the yen, 127.06 there. And weaker dollars versus the British pound sterling, what $1.2614 in the trade. So a little bit of a move lower in those dollar prices. But remember, the trend over the medium near term has certainly been to the higher side for those dollar values. And then energy. WTI crude above $114, 114 spot 44, just about one third of 1% gains there. World benchmark ice brand crude futures, 118 spot 13, up about 73 cents. That's about two thirds of 1% gains there. And natural gas, after it went above $9 per MMBTUs, down about 874 right now, down 15 cents, about one and two thirds percent declines there. So let's take a look now at what, ha- what else is happening with the global markets overall. You can see cryptocurrencies. Right now, Bitcoin prices below the 29,000 mark, down about 2%. Ether prices have been underperforming on a relative basis and have been for the last few days. 
1761 spot 68 the last trade there Uh, just about everywhere in cryptocurrencies right now lower on the day bitcoin somewhat outperforming if you want to call it that let's now go worldwide Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in London with a look at the global markets as we see them shaping up there. And generally speaking, it looks pretty positive, Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, that positive momentum that you saw on Wall Street yesterday has filtered through to the Asian session overnight. It was green across the board. One market really stood out, though, and that was Hong Kong. The Hang Seng ended about 2.9% higher. And within Hong Kong, we saw particular strength in, strength in two of the key tech giants, Alibaba and Baidu. Both those companies delivered better-than-expected earnings, and we saw shares in those tech giants rise by double digits overnight. Turning to European markets, it's also a green picture for the most part. We've got the CAC 40 over in France up about seven-tenths of a percent. The DAX up about half a percentage point, building on yesterday's gains. The benchmark stock 600 gained some ground yesterday. There is some underperformance, though, in the FTSE 100. We're trading lower this morning, and that is in large part just some news yesterday. The U.K. government came out and announced the imposition of a one-off levy, an extraordinary tax on extraordinary profits at oil and gas companies. And this is weighing today on utilities and oil and gas stocks, but utilities in particular particular, the government left the door open for a similar imposition of extra taxes, a windfall tax, if you will, on utility companies as well. So some underperformance there. But overall, it is a positive session, a positive start to the session anyway here in Europe, Dom. All right. Thank you very much, Julianne Tannelbaum, live in London with the latest there. Now to some of this morning's top corporate headlines. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Happy Friday, Bertha. Happy Friday, Dom. Twitter shareholders are suing Elon Musk and the social media company over the handling of a buyout deal. Proposed class action lawsuit was filed yesterday. Shareholders allege Musk violated California corporate laws and thereby engaged in market manipulation. Twitter shares are down more than 12% since Musk announced his bid for the company and trading below his 54.20 offer price. Retail is back in focus this morning. Costco earnings were in line with estimates and quarterly revenue topped expectations, but same-store sales fell short and shares are trading lower. Instacart is slowing hiring as it prepares to go public. Company employees were told of the plan during an all-staff call. It's just the latest tech company to make a similar decision. Microsoft, NVIDIA, Meta and Twitter have all said they are slowing hiring, but they are not talking about pink slips, at least not right now, Tom. Still some perhaps initial signs of a slowing job market there and technology in particular. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We'll see you later on. It's been all smiles, though, for the U.S. markets this week as the major averages look to set look set at least to snap some multi-week losing streaks. The Dow and the S&P are both up about 4% so far. While the Nasdaq isn't slouching either, it's up about 3.5% this week. Still, all three remain well off their 52-week highs, their records, if you will, with the Nasdaq dug deep into that bear market territory. The tech-heavy index is down roughly 27% from its record high set back in November. So let's bring in Dana Doria, co-chief investment officer and InvestNet. I I wonder, as we take a look at these markets, Dana, this is one where you can kind of Pick your or choose your own adventure, right? The, the, the bears have a very compelling case about why there's more downside ahead. And the bulls can say, you know what? This is a bottoming process. This is about as deep as things have gotten since the great financial crisis in terms of pullback. We've seen it before. But the COVID pandemic 
was maybe a one-off kind of situation. Is this a market, Dana, that's constructive to you? Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess I have to lean a little bit more towards the former uh, in terms of just what I'm expecting in markets. It's, it's hard for me to think that we're past the pain. Uh, there's just too many indicators at this point that we have more struggles coming. Obviously, inflation not getting tamed at all. Uh, pick your measure on that from 4.5 to 8.3 percent um, inflation. Fed funds nowhere near there. So we have to continue to be hawkish on interest rates, um, slowing into, you know, or going into a slow growth economy and then we're rising rates. And that's going to be a global phenomenon. So um, I would have to say unemployment has been good. The, the job picture has been very good. Uh, but even that, we're starting to see signs of weakness, right? Uh, week over week, um, you know, jobless claims are, are starting to rise. So I do think we have more pain. I would point to just, you know, what happened in 2000, right? Think about the NASDAQ then. It lost 80% of its value um, between 2000 and 2002 uh, within that eight market rallies. But nevertheless, we weren't really past, uh, you know, the pain. So, so Dana, wait a second. I, I, I want to ask, do, do you feel as though the markets that we've seen over the last several years at this point are, are similar to what we saw with the dot-com era and the boom? Is that why you think that there is maybe a 50 percent downside scenario, kind of like what we saw during the, the bust back in the late 90s to early 2000s? Yeah, I, look, I mean, markets are cyclical, right? And obviously, um, you know, hopefully we're not going to recreate the GFC again. It's not, you know, hopefully we're not in that kind of bad territory. We still do have a lot of liquidity in companies, although even those uh, cash holdings starting to diminish a bit. Um, but, you know, there's there's still a lot about this market, I think, that is constructive, right? Uh, corporate earnings are still good. I mean, we're seeing a lot of now analyst downgrades. Negative guidance was pretty high in this earnings period. So, so these are negative indicators, but they're not, you know, another GFC. But, you know, on the other side, I, I think given what we know is coming, right, we still have now geopolitical issues, globalization dividend really um, a problem, energy prices, think about just inflation, energy, food, uh, you know, COVID pandemic. I don't think we can call it yet that, you know, we're on the other side of this by any stretch. All right. So, so Dana, I, I, I understand that. And you're not the only one that feels that way right now. I will point out on the other side of the argument that, that there are a number of traders and analysts and experts out there who are pointing towards the maybe possible peak of inflation. Right. If you look at the markets, 10 year break even rates, the expectation of the bond market for what the what inflation could be. If you look at it on a five year basis, they all seem to be trending near term lower after hitting highs over the last month and a half, two months or so. Do yeah. you believe as though that inflation narrative, as pervasive as it is, may be showing some signs of slowing down now? Yeah, for sure. There are some indicators that we've hit peak inflation. To your point, you know, we are seeing now a little bit of a plateau and coming down. Um, I, don't think you, I don't think we can yet say we're there. Right. Certainly, there are other reasons to think that there are structural issues in some of these markets, particularly energy, food, you know, some of these core non-discretionary items. Um, we're still seeing issues in terms of supply chains, new issues coming up globally. So, yes, there's indicators for sure. But I think they're on the other side, still reason to think that we could struggle. And, you know, say we plateau a bit and inflation still remains sort of around where it is. The Fed has no choice but to raise. Right. And, and the expectation of a Fed put that's going to kind of rescue us, I think you have to set aside a little bit in this market. All right. Dana Gioria, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us and have a nice weekend.
You too. All right. When we come back on the show, your mystery chart of the morning, a well-known retailer getting hit very hard after slashing earnings guidance for the year. That name will be revealed coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, check out this morning's biggest Dow winners and losers right now in the pre-market. Dow, Cisco Systems and Chevron leading the way higher. And some of the losers you can kind of see there, Salesforce, Nike and United Health. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome back to the show. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, the answer to our mystery chart of the day. It's Gap. The retailer reporting a wider than expected first quarter loss and issued a disappointing outlook as well. Old Navy continues to be way on the company's results with same-store sales there dropping by 19% last month. Gap warned of a larger decline in sales as well as the departure of Old Navy's CEO. Stock number two is Ulta Beauty, the chain's first quarter results topping forecasts on strong demand for makeup products and consumers' continued interest in skin care. Ulta is raising its earnings and revenue and same-store sales guidance for the full year. That stock is up 7% right now. And stock number three is Dell Technologies, the company beating revenue forecasts for the ninth straight quarter as the PC maker sees strong demand for its computers and laptops with companies embracing the whole hybrid work model at home component to things. Dell posting a 62% jump in first quarter profits as businesses invest heavily in remote work equipment and consumers upgrade their older devices as well. Dell is up 12% in the pre-market. Well, let's keep tracking the consumer because it's the start of Memorial Day weekend. MDW, that's right, sales from all the big retailers are running today until Monday. And in the wake of inflation and supply chain issues, consumers may be especially in search of some of those best deals this year. A recent survey by the Kearney Consumer Institute, or KCI, measured impacts of rising prices. 31% of consumers, as you can see there, said that they felt very impacted. Another survey, also by KCI, asked where customers felt the most price impact of those changes. The top two categories were food, groceries, and then gasoline. And get this. KCI also reports that 68% of consumers would rather wait for a product than pay more for it right now. So Memorial Day weekend might just be what retail needs to bounce back a bit. But will a spike in sales be enough? 
Let's now bring in Katie Thomas to talk all things Memorial Day weekend. She's a lead at KCI, the people that conducted that survey and study. So, Katie, let's just start with a big macro question. Is the American consumer still strong? Right now, Dom, honestly, it's pretty tricky. We're kind of on a collision course of these inflationary and price impacts and, of course, flowing all impacted by supply chain as well. With also this pent up demand and revenge spending that, frankly, we've been talking about since the beginning of the pandemic. But in some categories, you're just seeing that start to play through right now. So as you saw there, we're absolutely seeing consumers feel the impact of inflation more in the day to day categories. So food and gas significantly above any other category. And that's where they're really feeling the concern and starting to think about how they can pull back or make trade-offs. On the flip side, they're willing to invest in items still that are things that maybe they haven't been able to do in a while. You just spoke about Ulta posting great results. Beauty is a sector that's doing really well. So it's sort of this interesting collision course of where consumers are willing to spend and where they're starting to hold back. You know, Katie, you mentioned it, it, it is interesting, right? These spending habits, the, the, the revenge spending thing. We, we've heard a lot more of that is geared now towards experiences and travel as opposed to maybe material things, you know, things that we buy and then hoard around in our house. But Macy's made an interesting comment that they are seeing more demand for things like fancy dresses and men's suits as people look to go out, that sort of thing. So take us through a little bit of what that kind of changing landscape is like for retail. And can we expect it to be more medium term as opposed to just a kind of couple quarter phenomenon? Yeah, I think that right now what you're seeing is that that revenge spending and that need for a wardrobe refresh. So a lot of us, for a variety of reasons, right, maybe some of what we have in our closet feels a little bit out of date. Maybe it doesn't fit the same way it used to. So we are seeing people want to get out. It's beauty. It's apparel. And it certainly is travel. It's for those trips, for the weddings that that folks had held off on. The one thing I would watch out for is making too many assumptions that behaviors from the pandemic will stick. I think that's some of what we've seen actually peel back pretty quickly. So you've seen the impact with streaming services, categories such as plant-based meat, you know, uh, fitness bikes. And so I think we do want to make the assumption that consumers are eager to get out of their house right now and spend their money on something that they weren't able to do during the pandemic or didn't feel like was a good use of funds. I mean, you can even look at the stock reaction in companies like Peloton or Zoom, right, during the kind of peak of the pandemic kind of versus where they are right now. Investors are already kind of starting to see that. I I wonder, you mentioned that whole idea of of food and groceries and gasoline, fuel prices being the main drivers of things. We got some uh, at least results out from another study put out by AAA projecting what traffic and miles traveled will be like this Memorial Day weekend. It's going to be like an eight plus percent bump over last year, the best in a couple years since the pandemic started. Does that mean that consumers, despite the fact that they are worrying about gasoline prices, are willing to shake it off for that revenge travel spend? Yes, in large part, I would say it does, Don, because as we, we've seen throughout the pandemic that consumer sentiment numbers were frankly worse than the actual retail numbers. And it's similar here. You're seeing consumers feel about inflation. They're feeling stressed about inflation. But when you talk to them directly, they're still willing to spend. And that's the interesting part. Like, I feel like I've still been cooped up into my house for a couple years. I want to get out and see my family. And all of that stuff is still flowing out. 
it's really the back half of the year that, you know, once we get through summer and some of these really first seasons of reemergence, I think that's when we'll keep an eye on consumers feeling the impacts of inflation across the whole wallet. Um, right now, we're still lapping some of the complexity of the pandemic. All right. Katie Thomas with a look at the consumer heading into Memorial Day weekend. Thank you. And, and, and Katie, by the way, enjoy your holiday weekend. Thank you. You too, Dom. All right. Still on deck for the show, a firsthand look at how the ultra wealthy are feeling about the market and economy right now and how they're putting some of that money to work, if at all. Tiger 21 founder Michael Sonnenfeld will bring us his insights when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. Today's big number, 21%. That's how much egg prices are expected to increase this year due to the ongoing outbreak of avian flu, according to the USDA. Poultry prices are predicted to rise by 10%. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Questions about the police response in Uvalde are growing. Reports of what happened that tragic day continue to shift. For example, officials initially said all of the victims were in one classroom. But investigators now tell NBC News that victims were found in four classrooms. The president and first lady will travel to Uvalde, Texas on Sunday. Graduates from the U.S. Naval Academy are just hours away from a very executive commencement. President Biden will speak at the class of 2022's graduation ceremony today in Annapolis. More than a thousand students will be commissioned as officers in the Marine Corps. Monkeypox cases continue to rise in the U.S. The CDC has now identified nine infections in seven states, California, Florida, Massachusetts, New York, Utah, Virginia, and Washington. Only some of these cases involve international travel to areas where monkeypox is active. So the CDC says it presumes there is community spread here in the U.S. That's it from here, Dom. We'll send it back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Philip Mena, for that. Have a nice weekend, sir. Coming Thanks. up on the show, this morning's top stories, plus veteran investor Michael Sonnenfeld will be our special guest. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to snap their longest weekly losing streak in nearly a century. Futures look stable this morning. Another major Wall Street firm is downgrading U.S. equities on recession risks. We'll tell you what Citigroup is telling their clients this morning. And the call of the consumer. A number of retailers getting crushed this morning. It is Friday, May 27, 2022. 
You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning, the Friday morning, right before Memorial Day weekend. It's right around 530 a.m. Eastern time on the East Coast. Here's how the markets and your money are looking as we are sitting here ahead of the long weekend. The Dow Jones futures right now imply a higher open by just about 39 points. The S&P would be implied higher by roughly 10 to 11 points and the Nasdaq higher by 49. Remember some big gains yesterday. The three major index indices are on track to close the week higher. The Dow is currently up four and a half percent. The S&P is up four percent and the Nasdaq composite index is trailing, but it's still up three and a half percent. Of course, stocks are well off their record highs. The Nasdaq is still entrenched in bear market territory. It's down more than 27 percent from its record highs. The S&P is down 16 percent from its record high. And the Dow is down 12 percent. So maybe outperforming if you want to look at it from that perspective. On the Treasury side of things, we're seeing a slight tick lower in yields. The benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note is currently yielding a hair above 2.75 percent. The two-year note yield just a hair above 2.47 percent. The dollar, meanwhile, is losing some strength. Remember, it's been on a nice upward move over the last several weeks and months here. But right oh, we've reversed course a little bit against the euro right now, $1.0721, so slight strength against the euro. Meanwhile, it is still lower against the dollar yen, 127.06 there, and it'll cost you $1.2604 to buy one British pound sterling. So again, some weakness in the dollar relative to some of those major currencies. Energy prices right now are moving higher. You can see U.S. benchmark WTI crude prices just up about 60 cents, 114 spot 69 the last trade there, up one half of 1%. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $118.37, up nearly a dollar for about a almost two-thirds or three-quarter percent advance there. And the natural gas prices now below that $9 mark, $8.76 the last trade there, off about one and a half percent. Also checking what's happening with cryptocurrencies as well. You can see Bitcoin prices, well, let's go to gold right now, up about one half of 1%, 1862 spot 80, the last trade there. And then let's go to cryptocurrencies because we are now below that 29,000 mark for Bitcoin prices. 28,985 is the last trade there, off about one and a half percent. Ethereum prices are down even worse, down about three and a quarter percent, $1,772, the last trade there. Now to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. Good morning, Tom. Shares of Marvell Technology are trading higher this morning. The chipmaker posting better than expected earnings and revenues and offering upbeat guidance on the conference call. Company leadership noted nearly 90 percent of Marvell's revenue came from data infrastructure projects and not the consumer. But when you speak to the consumer, they don't seem to be going to American Eagle. American Eagle Outfitters trading lower this morning. The retailer's Q1 results falling short of expectations. Company cautions that it will continue to deal with the need for higher markdowns to clear inventory, higher shipping costs, and the impact of supply chain issues. Sticking with retail, Costco earnings were in line with estimates. And quarterly revenue topped expectations, but same-store sales fell short. And shares are trading lower there this morning. 
and Gap shares are getting hit hard. The retailer reporting a wider-than-expected first-quarter loss and issued a disappointing outlook. Old Navy continues to weigh on the company's results, with same-store sales dropping 19 percent. The problem there, Dom, they didn't have enough of the middle sizes. They had too many of the very large and very small sizes. So they have to try to find the balance on being inclusive there. Product mix is always a key there for some of these retailers. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later on. Back to the market. Citigroup is out with a downgrade of U.S. stocks today. The team cutting their recommendation to neutral on growing recession risks here in America. City saying that a lack of reassurance from the Fed and high uncertainty, the market is now showing, quote unquote, elements of a deflating bubble. So let's bring in Michael Sonnenfeld, founder and chairman of Tiger 21, for some insights here. Do you believe them, Michael, this morning? Is Citigroup telling their clients that U.S. equities are maybe not the place to be? And by the way, they think China outperforms the U.S. in this kind of environment. Great to be here. Nice to see you. Uh, well, our members do. About 73 percent of them uh, think recession is likely. Uh, our members tend to be conservative because there are people who have built great businesses and sold them. And so they're now in a wealth preservation mode. But they're well diversified and uh, ready for whatever's going to come. All right. So if, if that's the base, if that's the base that you're drawing this information from and they are conservative, what exactly are they doing? I mean, this is an inflationary environment. These are people who understand that cash being held on the sidelines is continuously losing buying power. What exactly do you do in an environment where bonds are uncertain, equities are uncertain, and everything else in cryptocurrencies is uncertain as well? Sure. So our members tend to be long-term investors, and they have some themes. The crypto obviously is very concerning, but for the portion of our members that are invested in crypto, they see this as a buying opportunity because they have a fundamental belief. It's little like a Tesla owner when Tesla was one-tenth the price it is now. It's come down off its highs, but they've still made fortunes. Our main uh, distribution is public equity and real estate are the two top areas. Real estate has always been king. Oddly enough, in the first quarter, uh, public equities before the market fell became our largest asset. My guess is by next quarter, it'll fall below real estate again. And then private equity, which is a much longer term investment. Uh, but those three, private equity, public equity, and real estate, add up to over 70%. That's a pretty long term uh, risk on confidence in our economy. So it's true that they think there's recession in the near to midterm, but still long-term confidence. And what you do is you have low fixed income, historically low. We've never had 6%. It used to be around 12. That's a concern about inflation and interest rates and high cash. Uh, our members run 11, 12% cash so that they're not forced to liquidate precisely at the wrong time. And they have enough dry power dry powder to make a bet when something really looks attractive. Yeah, especially if you're if you're talking about some of these more illiquid investments like real estate or like private equity and, and hedge fund investments as well. Uh, can I drift towards the real estate side of things? You mentioned it's always kind of like the top of the heap there. We know that the real estate market is red hot. We know maybe your members are not dealing with the same kind of houses that maybe I'm dealing with right now in my neighborhood because they're ultra wealthy. But is there a feeling there that that this is the top of the real estate cycle? 
You know, for uh, real estate is not a monolith. Uh, the difference between industrial, residential, retail, office, those are all different. Workforce housing in the right communities, uh, people are very interested in continuing to do that, but prices are high. Uh, retail obviously is uh, going through now a second problem. You just mentioned a whole bunch of retailers that are having a tough time. Obviously, with the pandemic, it was even worse. Uh, and uh, office is really the uh, most amazing because there the question is, has something fundamentally changed for a generation? Is the relationship between the worker and their office different? Well, it's not in a factory, but if you can work from home two or three days a week, people are really reconceiving the entire office. So it's very much uh, which is going to win and which is going to lose. There will be winners and losers, but over time, Real estate has been our best performing asset. And since our members have made uh, a lot of money in real estate, they have deep expertise and there's huge opportunities. You know, when you have downturns like this, uh, if you if you didn't have cash, you're going to be forced to liquidate. But if you do have cash, think of all the opportunities in the technology stocks that have been decimated. That's in the public side, uh, even in the healthcare side and in the private markets. Uh, you know, there's a deal of a lifetime that passes your desk every week if you're able to look for it and seize the opportunity. I mean, we know that the, the, the devil is in the, de the details, Michael, for a lot of these things. But, but as you kind of put your finger on the pulse of all of these members that are of ultra high net worth, is there a part of that equities market that, that is more attractive? Is it those mega cap technology stocks, the ones that have been the consensus buy arguably since the depths of the great financial crisis back in 2009? Is it maybe some of the energy stocks that are kind of running away with things right now? Where exactly is the interest from a stock perspective in some of these more beaten down sectors, perhaps? I mean, sure. maybe not energy. Sure. Well, technology has always been uh, our number one sector that we're interested in. So people who have expertise in technology particularly in the B2B technologies, because the consumers have been beaten down a bit. But where you have fundamental technologies that underlie large corporations, there's some terrific opportunities there. But our members are also looking for long-term themes. And uh, climate, you, you mentioned energy. Energy is an all-time high. But climate is a theme. There's going to be $5 trillion a year spent over the next decade. And so uh, things like uh, renewable energy and rebuilding the grid, even the copper that's going to be required to rebuild the grid, these are long-term plays with tailwinds that are almost recession-proof. That doesn't mean they won't go up and down in a recession. It means over the long term, there's just extraordinary value. And, and there's a lot of those areas, and you mentioned some of them, but technology, healthcare. Uh, these are places that really have, uh, you know, if you cure cancer in a, in a uh, good time or bad, you're going to make money. All right. And Michael, before we let you go, one of the conversations I've had multiple times with folks who are older, wiser and wealthier than I am is whether they should be continuing to invest in cryptocurrencies. You alluded to it earlier on. But a lot of folks are underwater right now, including some of the wealthier investors that you talk to. Is there a sense right now that they want to continue investing in it because it's like the dollar cost averaging approach? Or is this a time to cut your losses and say, hey, you know what? Crypto's not for me. I'm going to move on. First of all, you know, our members are now all around the world. But in a place like San Francisco that thinks there's a recession because of the technology, that's also where some of our biggest crypto buyers are. And those 
really have a long-term commitment. So for people who really have an understanding and a belief, and I'd say that's five or 10% of our members at most, they're going to be really focusing on crypto opportunities, uh, but they're still going to have a prudent allocation. It's like gold has historically been a one to 3% allocation of total portfolios. And my guess is crypto is the same. So uh, there's some certain sentiments across our membership, but uh, different sentiments in different locations. Our groups in Calgary thought we were in a recession because of energy uh, a year or two ago, and they're doing very well right now because of energy prices, where it's just the opposite in San Francisco, where the recession is really hitting the technology companies. But you have some real diehard crypto fans all across uh, North America, and most of them would say this is a buying opportunity. All right, Michael Sonnenfeld, always good to get your thoughts, sir. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. All right, coming up on the show, remember when people couldn't find a Hamptons rental to save their lives last year, even if they were willing to pay top dollar? Well, it could be a very different situation this year, kind of what Michael Sonnenfeld was just saying. It's all about different locations, perspectives. We'll tell you why and what's coming up at that Hamptons real estate market next. But first, as we head out to break, a top trending story right now. Attention all the BTS fans out there. The K-pop sensation is getting ready to launch a new show on Apple Music One. It's a three-episode series that will air weekly starting tomorrow. And this all leads up to the band's new album, Prof, which will proof, which will drop June 10th. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, so the Hamptons real estate market might feel a market chill this summer, at least if you are talking about the rental market and prices there. Robert Frank brings us that story. And Robert, if it's true, boy, it turned fast. Yeah, it turns really fast, Dominic. Remember, bargains are all relative in the Hamptons. But right now, rental prices down 26 percent over the last year. And the biggest sign of weakness right now is actually on the supply side. Brokers say There are now hundreds of rentals still available at all price points. And in last year and in 2020, it was almost impossible to find a rental by early May. This year, brokers estimate supply is up over 50 percent. And some homeowners are starting to drop prices more than 30 percent rather than let them stay empty. So why the soft demand? Well, brokers say more of the wealthy are traveling this summer, especially to Europe, The stock market declines, they've also affected the mood. And many of the people who used to rent in the Hamptons actually bought over the past two years. So the pool in the population of renters is now smaller. So what can you get if you're still looking to be in the Hamptons this summer? Well, you can rent this nine-bedroom, 11,000-square-foot waterfront home in Bridgehampton. That's on Surfside Drive. It's a mere $300,000 a week. That's right, I said a week or $1.25 million a month. If you're on a little more of a budget, well, it's a cute little 900-square-foot cottage in Southampton. It's $48,000 for the summer or a mere $23,000 for August. So, Dom, still some, quote, deals out there if you're looking. Robert, you deal in a very different world than many of us deal with on a daily basis, for sure, right now. So I'm glad that you put those in perspective for us with regard to just how much 
Hamptons rentals cost. But is, is there a sense right now, you know, we were just talking to Michael Sonnenfeld over at Tiger 21 about the ultra wealthy members that they have there and some of the concerns about real estate right now. Do you feel as though maybe on the ultra wealthy side of things, we could see a turn in the real estate market soon? Or, or, or is that something where the, 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 the ridiculously rich people really don't care about real estate values because they just hold it forever anyway? Well, I think just as with the rest of the market, a lot of it is still a function of inventory. So if you look at the sales side on the Hamptons, inventory is still very low. The average sale price in the Hamptons is $2.6 million. That's still way up from last year. And by the way, that's more than Manhattan, where the average sale price is still around $2 million. So uh, until we start to see a, a real buildup of supply on the sales side, we're really not going to get much of a change in prices. But the, the rental market is still where you see start to see the beginnings of a slowdown. And there, again, we see some supply, including from some people that bought over the past two years and thought they could rent out these places for a lot of money and just aren't going to get what they expected. And so they may then put those homes in the Hamptons on the market. All right. If I could afford the helicopter to get out there and avoid all the traffic, I might think about maybe something That's the al- way to go. Al- along a 300-square-foot cottage in this case. Robert Frank, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, Thanks, Tom. Stephanie Link is on trying to break down at least the trading day ahead. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on Worldwide Exchange. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Just a couple things to watch today as we wrap up the trading week. May personal income and spending is out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. This report includes the Fed's favorite gauge of inflation, the personal consumption expenditure or core PCE index. Also look for the final read on May consumer sentiment at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And then get your popcorn ready. The summer movie season hits mock speed this weekend as Top Gun Maverick flies into theaters. The Paramount film, which was delayed more than two years because of the virus pandemic, is on track to gross at least $100 million at the domestic box office. That would be the biggest opening of Tom Cruise's career. Yeah, this is going to be big. If I can find a babysitter, my wife and I are going to go see this one here. So Top Gun Maverick, something to watch there. A few charts to watch as well. The S&P 500 over the last year or so has seen record highs, but we are now down 16% from those record high levels. But we've seen a bounce of 6% just over the course of this past week from those lows. So is a bottoming process taking place? Big question. Technology has been hit very hard during this last downturn, specifically semiconductors, software, and big Internet communications names. Now, over the course of the last week, though, you can see a little bit of stability and positivity going through there, especially when it comes to semiconductors. And then is there any end in sight for that positive momentum that we are seeing in energy markets right now, and oil prices in particular, the energy sector spider is still up 57% year-to-date, by far the best-performing sector out there. So is energy still a buy despite those sky-high moves that we've seen? Joining us now is Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Hightower. She's also a CNBC contributor. Stephanie, I wonder, there are, va- there are bargains right. out there. You, you, you look for them all the time. Are they still in energy? Is there anything to be had in energy? We know free cash flow is great there, but is it a buy at these levels? 
Well, good morning. Thanks for having me, Dom. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm overweight energy. I have been all year. I'm not, uh, it's about 4, 4.5% of the S&P 500 in terms of weighting. So it's still relatively small. And I think there's still opportunities for certain. Um, this, this sector has kind of structurally changed, right? It started with the ESG movement and, and getting these companies to f- uh, embrace more clean energy and that sort of thing. Um, and then it got to shareholders really wanted shareholder value. Um, uh, uh, and and, uh, and and that's buybacks and dividends, and that's what they're doing. And so I'm kind of barbelling energy, Dom. I have Chevron because it's kind of the big stalwart with a good dividend yield, good balance sheet. I like Schlumberger because it's a hidden technology play. Their margins have gone up for the last seven consecutive quarters, and the stock is still reasonably valued, even though it's had a nice run. And then Diamondback Energy has actually been a laggard in the E&P space, and they just gave you a dividend and then a special dividend and, and that sort of thing. So I, I think there's places that you can you can focus on within within energy, and and I think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna remain overweight, double my benchmark for the rest of the year. All right, so so those are some of the momentum plays and where you can still find value there, and, and obviously energy has been far and away the best performing sector. So it's good that you're overweight. Yeah. But if you take a look at some of the, at least this past week, we've been focused so much on the consumer and we've got so many mixed yeah. reads from some of the major retailers, some of the dollar stores, some of the apparel retailers. We talked about gap results. On balance, what do you think the narrative is about the American consumer right now? And where would you be putting money to work there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the consumer is in much better shape than it's getting credit for at this very moment. In six months from now, is that does it change? Um, and that all depends on, on the Fed. But yesterday, we had a really big boost of confidence in consumer. It wasn't just Williams-Sonoma and, and Macy's um, and, and Burlington store. It, it wasn't just those companies reporting better than feared results. Uh, it was we got the second revision of GDP, and it showed that consumption was revised from 3.1 per, uh, from 2.7% to 3.1%. Goods were flat, but services was up 4.8%. So that's that transition to reopen. And we've been talking about this, you and I've talked about this, for uh, the better part of a year that this was going to happen. So it's good to see it. Uh, so you have to pick your spots in terms of where you want to be. But you know I have been involved in the reopen play. Is that Wynn Resorts? Is that Expedia? Um, one name that I like a lot right here is Starbucks. That's also a reopen as people go back to the stores. But you have kind of a special situation story happening with the return of Howard Schultz as interim uh, CEO. The same source sales in in the U.S. have been very strong, up 12% last quarter alone. Margins are actually doing well. So the U.S. is fine. China is a mess. We know that. That's going to eventually reopen. And they removed the $20 buyback program uh, so that they could actually use that money to actually invest in stores and invest in innovation and in growth. And you have an analyst day in September, so you have a catalyst there. So I like that. By the way, the stock is down 36% year to date. So I like the risk reward. Another one that 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 uh, another theme people have been talking about have been around kind of agricultural commodities and and just what's happening with fertilizer prices right now because of what's happening with the war in Ukraine. Can you take us through whether or not there are any kind of like plays with the commodity front on the ag side of things? We know about the energy side. What about the ag side of things? I 
like I like ag very much. Um, I like deer. I own Cortiva. I own Dow. So there's a lot of names that you can play in this space. But but why I like deer is because they had an analyst day yesterday. It was very up, upbeat in, in terms of the uh, strong farm fundamentals uh, for, in terms of income and pricing. But they're also a hidden technology play, Dom, because they have precision farm technology in place. And basically, this is going to make the farmers more efficient, give sure. them better pricing power um, and less labor. So I like that one. Trading at 15 times forward estimates. I think it got hit last week on earnings for absolutely ridiculous reasons. And so I like the risk reward there, too. All right. Starbucks and Deer, some of Steph's top plays there. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, Stephanie. You too. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Have a great holiday Memorial Day weekend, folks. We'll see you back on Tuesday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.